BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Back then, Memorial Gym looked like a shithole. (laughs) (laughs) It it looked like a shithole. It It looked like a warehouse. Yeah, this that, is looks cool. like a, that looks like a warehouse. <laughs> yeah, that it, it, it's 100% a warehouse. Yeah. It's just, it's just big right. brick walls. There's nothing. The hoop looks like a dick hanging from the ceiling. Like, that's literally <laughs> all that there is right there. These are the tales of college basketball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off court moments, memories of personal fandom, catastrophe, and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college basketball stories. I'm Ryan Hancock, and I'm here to tell you the story of the 1991-1992 University of Memphis Tigers. Well, the first thing was, and and once again, thank you for having me. The one thing was that the University of Memphis, this was the very first year that they were playing in the pyramid. They had played 27 years uh, at the Mid-South Coliseum. And the last game was a game against Arkansas State where they lost in the NIT. So this was a new era. It was also a, the first year for them in a new conference because they had gone from the, mid, the, uh, the Metro Conference to the Great Midwest. And Penny Hardaway was, uh, was very was herald and everything. Uh, and more importantly, there was also the arrival of David Vaughn. David Vaughn was Larry Finch's nephew. And uh, his uh, mom, I think, died. I think his mom had died, I think, a couple of years prior. I don't exactly remember. But David Vaughn was another prize, another prize recruit that the University of Memphis got. He was a guy from Nashville. He played at White Creek High School in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, he was the nephew of Larry Finch and Larry Finch recruiting. It was sort of like what you saw years later with Mike Anderson and Demari Carroll. Uh, Mike Anderson 
brought Damari Carroll to Missouri. And uh, the same thing happened here with Larry Finch and David Vaughn. So it was just a basic, basically just a new era of basketball for the University of Memphis program. So, so we get to 1991-92. And the great Midwest, in so many words, the great Midwest was this conglomerate of teams that, you know, there was St. Louis, Cincinnati, Marquette, DePaul, and Memphis, UAB. So it was St. Paul, it was St. Louis, DePaul, Marquette, St. Louis, Cincinnati, and UAB. So it was basically, it was six schools in the, in the great Midwest. UAB and Memphis developed kind of a rivalry because Gene Bartow was the coach of that 1973 Final Four team, and he basically built UAB basketball from the ground up. Uh, Marquette was coached by Kevin O'Neill. Uh, it was coached by Kevin O'Neill. DePaul had Joey Meyer, and DePaul, DePaul was in their very first conference. And then you had um, Marquette, who was in the MCC with St. Louis. And then you also had uh, Cincinnati, who played in the same conference with Memphis. You know, they played in the Missouri Valley. They played in the um, in the uh, Metro Conference. And, you know, it was just that. It was, you know, six teams. It was basically six teams in this, in this conference. And there was just a lot of hype with this team with Penny Hardaway. But the thing that a lot of people don't know is that Larry Finch, you know, this story starts in 1973 when they went to the Final Four, the University of Memphis. And really, in so many words, Larry, that the story, you know, what what led to this story to, to 1991-92 was that before Larry Finch, a lot of top black athletes didn't go to the University of Memphis. You have to think about this. The University of Memphis did not integrate until 1959. My mother was born in 1957. Okay? They didn't integrate until she was two years old. The first black basketball player was a guy named Herb Hilliard. Herb Hilliard. Herb Hilliard, um, I believe, integrated the University of Memphis basketball program in 1967. And that was when they were known, when they were members of the Missouri Valley Conference. And, um, and, um, we go, you know, we go from that to 1968 when Dr. King got killed. And when Dr. King got killed, Larry Finch was at Maryland High School. Larry Finch basically decided to go against the grain and go to the University of Memphis. And that was a controversial decision. It wasn't like how it was 
when Joe Jackson years later committed to the University of Memphis. And I knew Joe Jackson's cousins. Uh, I knew his cousins. I knew his grandmother because they lived on Grand Street in Orange Brown. That's where I grew up. So back then, you didn't go to the University of Memphis if you were black. Um, you didn't. You didn't go to the University of Memphis. You went out of state. Bingo Smith, uh, who is one of the great prep stars in Memphis history, he went to the University of Tulsa. That's just how it was back then. So is Penny the change of that? Or what? Larry, you know, Finch, Larry Finch was. The 1973 Final Four team and that game is what basically solidified the love affair of of the University of Memphis basketball program with the city. Because when Larry Finch decided to do that, other top black athletes in the city and the area started going. That's why I was going with it. Larry Finch started it. Then you had Ronnie Robinson. My cousin, John Gunn, is a byproduct of that as well as guys like Keith Lee, Vincent Askew, Andre Turner, Dwight Boyd, Diane Gibson, Sylvester Gray, Baskerville Holmes. Those guys, Elliot Perry. Elliot Perry is my favorite Tiger of all time. Because uh, I used to wear my socks just like, they used to call him Socks. And then I used to wear my socks just like him. Penny Hardaway was part of that lineage, as well as Tim Duncan and others. So without Larry Finch doing what he did back in 1970-71, back in 1970-71, committing to the University of Memphis, you don't have the homegrown talent that you had, that you have um, with this 1991-92 Memphis basketball team. Without Keith Lee, there's no Tim Duncan. There's no Leon Mitchell. There's no Kevin Allen. All of those guys were from Memphis. You go down to Roger, all them boys were from Memphis. All them boys. Um, I remember um, I remember as a kid, there was a, I remember as a kid, because my mother worked at the University of Memphis, um, Russell Wilson used to, Russell Wilson was like my big brother. Tim Duncan uh, knew some of my relatives. Uh, I was friends Tony Madlock went to Melrose High School, and his sister went to the church I went to years later. I know his sister and his, I know his sister, I know his uncle, and I know his brother-in-law. That's how deeply entrenched that team was with me. Um, Leon Mitchell I met him. I, I I told him one when we when I went to this tournament years later. I told him I said, "Oh my God!" I used to my mom used to have me in here watching you guys practice, and I knew for a fact I wanted to play basketball, but I just couldn't shoot. I just had a bad. I didn't have a jump shot. So that's where the lineage starts. It goes from 1973 to 1991. We get to 1991. We get to the first game in the pyramid. DePaul is taking on Memphis. It was probably one of the best games that I remember as a little kid. 
the Kings on ESPN. Civil Shepherd from Moonlighting is in the in the crowd. Twenty thousand people, probably the largest crowd to ever see a Memphis Tigers game in Memphis. They're in this. They're in this. This uh, in in this monstronomy of a building. <laughs> That's really what it was. Like I yeah. remember as a kid going down there with my grandmother and my mother. We stood at the corner of, I want to say it was North Parkway and Tom. No, it was Jackson and Thomas, Jackson Avenue and Thomas. And we were standing right by the uh, the Payless shoe store on Thomas and Jackson. And we're looking at this big-ass pyramid. And the thing about it was that the city of Memphis thought that the pyramid would be like the Superdome here in New Orleans. They never built anything around the, the pyramid, ever. Except they built some apartments across over in Bud, at, at Bud Island. They did that, but the apartments were there before they built the pyramid. You get what I'm saying? You feel what I'm saying? Everything else was just, it was just a parking lot. It was just nothing but parking lot. It was like you were at the Coliseum. And uh, at the fairgrounds, when you left the game at the Coliseum, there was nothing for you to do. When you left the pyramid, there was really nothing for you to do except go to Bill Street. Bill Street is two miles away. When you're in New Orleans at the Superdome, walk out. What do you have? There's restaurants. There's all this stuff around. You get what I'm saying? When the pyramid opened, it was nothing around except parking lots. They thought about building a hotel. It was the greatest boondoggle, I think, in the <laughs> So that was like my first memory. And I'm watching that game with my grandmother. And they lost the game to DePaul. And 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 and, and I'm and kids don't remember how good DePaul was with Joey Myers. That was like one of the last great DePaul teams. That was at the tail end. So they lost that game by three. Then they went on this winning streak where uh, they went on this winning streak and they played some, you know, the first six games at the Pyramid. First six games at the Pyramid. Tennessee, they played Tennessee. That team had Allen Houston and Wade Houston. Wade Houston, two black coaches. Wade Houston was the first African-American coach in SEC basketball history. And he had Allen. Allen Houston was still was on that team. Then you bring in Clem Haskins, who was, regardless of what happened at the end, he is still a pioneer. So, he is still a pioneer. Then you br- they brought in um, Jackson State. They lose to Tennessee by one. They beat Minnesota. Then they have to go to New York, and they're playing uh, St. John's. And this was like when St. John would have Lou Carnesecca, and this was like one of the last, the, like the last great stretch of St. John basketball. They lose that game by 21. They, the biggest knock I had 
with ten, with with the University of Memphis basketball team under Larry Flynn, they never could win on the road or on neutral sites. They never could do that. But they got blown out by St. John's. Then they had to go to UAB, and they beat UAB by four points. Then you bring in a really good Missouri team, and I think this Missouri win, that Missouri game, is what basically solidified how good this team was going to be. You know, they they had that massive win against Missouri with Norm Stewart, and I watched that game on television. I was about five, six, seven, about five or six years old. I watched that game on television. And I'm talking about, you know, it was just so good. And I didn't really have strong hatred for Missouri basketball or Norm Stewart. You know, I really didn't. I just thought beating them was just, it was like this arrival moment. Like, I wanted to see Penny Hardaway and David Vaughn do this on a national stage. I think this game was televised on ES- I think this game was televised on ESPN. They won that game. What else from that Mizzou game? You remember or have talked about that, oh, this team isn't just special. It may be really special. I think that the way that we beat them was what I think solidified how good we could be, how good they could be. And I think because you have to realize that Mizzou team had Anthony Peeler and Melvin Booker. Yep. So you, you're going up against really good guy, really a really like two of the best, two of the best players in the uh, in um in, in 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 the Big Eight, and that was not a slouch team. I mean, that team had uh, that team. Uh, you know, when they played Mizzou, Mizzou was ten and zero going into oh, that game. It was a they finished top fifteen. It was a legit team. Yeah, yeah Missouri, Missouri finished. You know, number they were like number sixteen. Uh, they finished number sixteen in the uh, in the AP, and they finished number thirteen in the coaches. So that was not. Uh, that was a big win. That was the first big win that um, that they had. I mean, they got blown their door. They got the doors blown off against um, St. John at Madison Square Garden. But back then, nobody was beating St. John's at Madison yeah. Square Garden. They go to DePaul. They lose at DePaul. DePaul swept them that year. So they regroup. They they play South Texas, and and then it's Cincinnati. I hated Cincinnati. You talk to people of a certain age. People north of 35 hate Louisville. As a Memphis fan, when it comes to basketball, it's Cincinnati. I hated Cincinnati. I hated the Bearcats, Nick Van Exel. They just, it was just, Bob Huggins, my grandmother and I used to watch games together. And my grandmother and I used to always joke that Bob Huggins would have a heart attack because he would get so mad. (laughs) He would get so mad. He would get so mad 
that you would think this guy was going to either have a stroke or a heart attack. And my grandmother, as I told you in the opener, my grandmother was like my first color commentator. Because that's what made me go into broadcasting. And shout out to my grandmother. Rest in power to my grandmother. Keep uh keep watch keep watch over um over me, by the way. But my grandmother she used to always be like, Ryan, that man's gonna have a heart attack or a, he's gonna scream and everything. <laughs> you know, it, it, but here's the thing. We won we lost that game by nine. Then we lost the Southern Miss. Southern Miss. It was a non-compass game, but Southern Miss had MK Turk, and I think I, I want to say they had Glenn Wisby, who was on that team. Glenn Wisby was really good. But Southern Miss back then used to give Memphis a scare all the time in basketball. So they 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 had that that two game losing streak. We go to we beat Marquette at the pyramid when Kevin O'Neill was there. I want to say Amal McCaskill was on that team, but we beat Vanderbilt the following week at Memorial Gym. Now back then Memorial Gym looked like a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looked like a shithole. It was it looked like a warehouse. If you look at old footage from games back in, in 1990, 1991, 1992, it was like a shit. It looked like a fucking warehouse. And <laughs> we won that game, and Ed, Eddie Fogler was the coach. Uh, this may this is a little like, older than 91. Yeah, this that, is looks what, like a, that looks like a warehouse. <laughs> yeah, that it, it, it's 100% a warehouse. Yeah. It's just, it's just big right. brick walls. There's nothing. Yeah, it was nothing. It was... It was nothing. It looked. Just, it was a. It was a brick. It was a warehouse. It was. I mean, like, the hoop looks like a dick hanging from the ceiling. Like that's literally <laughs> all that there is right there. It, it was so like people don't realize how ugly Memorial Gym looked. They had. It, it looked like it, it looked literally like a warehouse. So then we get St. Louis. We beat St. Louis. Uh. In in the uh in in uh, in Memphis we beat Louisiana. They were known as Southwestern Louisiana back then. Marty Fletcher was the head coach. We won there. We we played a rare road game against what we would consider a G five school in February. That really doesn't happen much anymore. So we never yeah. So we go to happens. You know, so now we have Arkansas, number five in the country. My grandmother had a huge crush on Roland Richardson. But this <laughs> my grandmother loved her from Roland Richardson. And I love him too. I he's one of my favorite coaches of all time. They had Todd Day, Lee Mayberry, Oliver Smith. They're going against David Vaughn, Tony Madlock, Tim Duncan, Kenny Hardaway. The pack house, the Saturday game. They beat them by four points. That right, that game, the Missouri game was a game that gave me hope about the team, about the season. But 
the Arkansas game, I'm like, you know, now I'm looking at that game and I'm like, they give they're giving me hope that they're gonna win. They're gonna they're gonna do some big things. They went on this winning streak, you know. Uh, uh, after they went on this winning streak, where they beat Vanderbilt, they beat St. Louis, they beat Louis, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, they beat Arkansas, and they go to they play Temple. And you have to realize the 1991-92 season. That season, you had Nolan Richardson, Clem Haskins, Wade Houston, John Chaney, all coming to the pyramid. The like, pyramid. Like, four, Legendary. Like, Year one. Black coaches coming to the pyramid. Coming to the pyramid. And that's awesome. And, and you know, we talk about representation now, but back then, you know, back then, that was that was that was not representation was that was everywhere. You could see a, a Wade Houston or a um a, 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 um a Nolan Richardson or a John Cheney. And and all those guys being playing coaching against Larry Finch, you know, coaching against Larry Finch and stuff. And um, they lose this game to Temple by two points, and then they get another shot at Southern Miss, a rare Sunday game. And they all like the one thing about University of Memphis basketball during the Larry Finch era, they used to always show up. On his birthday, his birthday is February sixteenth. They used to always be. They used to always show up. The team they won uh eighty sixty one against Southern Miss. And Southern the coach Miss, down. Yeah, so, Southern Miss had a legendary coach in it uh, in itself. MK Turk. MK Turk died a few years ago, and um, he ba- MK Turk basically put Southern Miss basketball on the map. Like you want to talk about like. He, you, you know, people always talked about how Andy Kennedy did more with less at Ole Miss. MK Turk basically took Southern Miss to an NIT championship. Southern Miss is the only school in the state of Mississippi to ever win either an NIT or a men's NCAA championship. Think about that. Yeah, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, they're the school. They won the uh, the 1987 NIT with Clarence Witherspoon. They beat LaSalle. Ah, uh, LaSalle. Yeah, they no. beat La- LaSalle. I think that year had Lionel Sim. I think Lionel Simmons came a few years afterwards. So, um, so they beat Southern Miss. They beat St. Louis. Thrilling overtime game. Rest in power to Charlie Spoon Hour. It's kind of amazing that some of these coaches I'm naming are no longer no longer with us. Like uh, Gene Bartow, MK Turk, Charlie Spoon Hour, um, John Chaney. Those guys are no longer with us. But they beat St. Louis at St. Louis Arena. They go on and they beat UAB. At home, they want 
They went they went on this run. They they had a hiccup against Marquette. And then they had to go and play Tulane. Tulane was the number 21 team, was the 21st ranked team in the country. And I told you guys, I'm part of, I, I, I'm a, um, I work with WT Rail Station, the radio station at Tulane. And, and people are amazed when I tell them that Tulane used to have a really good basketball team. Last time Tulane made the NCAA tournament, my Aunt Mandy moved to this city, to New Orleans. The year that she moved here was the year they last made the NCAA tournament. <laughs> my aunt, my aunt, there are three people in this city you should be afraid of. Sewage and water board, energy, and do not piss off my aunt Mandy. My <laughs> aunt, I'm serious. Do not piss my aunt off. Here's the ironic thing. Aaron Fogelman is a two-lane grad. He's from Memphis. He's donated money to not only Tulane University, but also to the University of Memphis. My mother used to work in the building that has his name on it, the Fogelman School of Business. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense, Sal. Yep. He's from Memphis. But he, he also owned like a lot of uh, apartment property in Memphis. So this team had a thing. They had the posse. And the posse had guys like Kim, uh, Kim Lewis, uh, Gerald Honeycutt. I don't think the, the posse, it was like they would have five guys in. They were like the bench. It was like they called the bench the posse. So... If you look at old footage, Fogelman Arena used to be rocking. And they used to be rocking. And you got this guy, Perry Clark, who basically took Tulane from the ashes. Because in 1985, they shut the program down because of a gambling scandal. And it's not really talked about much, like SMU's death penalty in in football. But that right there basically wrecked the program. It wasn't like, like it was the complete opposite of what you saw with the University of Miami. The University of Miami went without basketball for 14 years, but they recovered from that, and they've been moderately successful. They've been moderately successful, but Tulane, at this time, they were 21st in the country, they go into uh, Memphis goes into Fogelman Arena and they win that game. They're eighteen and eight. And then you have tournament, the very first Great Midwest tournament. And keep in mind, Mike Slide is the commissioner of the fucking Great Midwest. The Mike Slide that basically elevated. The SEC to where it is now. They play UAB. They beat UAB. They're 19 and 9. Then they have DePaul. They blew them out by 20. I think 
in January and early in, in, in January or like in late, like the first, all the way up to like mid January, you're trying to find yourself as a team. You're trying to yep. yell as a team, especially when you got talented freshmen, talented freshmen coming into a system. And a lot of times people do buy in. However, it does take a lot for chemistry because when they lost that game to DePaul, they were seven and four. Keep in mind, they had gone to the NIT in back-to-back years. Keep in mind, because they lost, they lost the NIT in 1980, in 1991, they played in the NIT. Then in 1990, they played in the NIT. So if they don't regroup, after the DePaul game, then who knows where this team would have been. And back then, if you won 20 games, you were in. You were in. And I think the wins against Missouri, Arkansas, and Tulane, I think those wins helped them. But that DePaul game, that win on March 13th, that helped them. Yep. That solidified their um that solidified their NCA tournament bid. Do you think uh do you, do you think it was kind of weird that they weren't ranked at all the entire season? You know, I I think you know, I I as a kid because there was just so many good teams then back that year. You know, I think about, you know, when we think about 1991-92, when we think about that season, uh, and and I'll get to the the NCAA tournament um, in a minute, when we think about that team and when we think about that season, there were so many good teams in basketball that year. Uh, There were just so many good teams, and you know, uh, Wake Forest had some uh, had a really good team. Uh, you had Oklahoma State, and you had Texas, and there was just a lot of, I would say, a lot of, I wouldn't say battles, but it was just a lot of, of it, it's very top heavy because Indiana still, you know, we're in the, in 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 the in the last great period of Bob Knight. We're in that period. We're also in the same period with Lou Karnaseka. And um, UConn was coming into its own. So I was not, I was, you know, looking at it now, I was always like, okay, why wasn't Memphis ranked? The, 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 the short answer would be Memphis was 5-5 five and five in, conference, in conference play. They were five and five, but that was that's if if they had been, I think I truly believe this. If Memphis had been in a conference, if there had been let more than five, six teams in that conference, I don't think Memphis would have been five and five. I don't. The Paul and Cincinnati shared the conference championship, and they won it by three games over Memphis and Marquette. 
UAB and Marquette, I think UAB, um, UAB went to the NIT that year. Marquette that year went, uh, I want to say Marquette, Marquette lost, they didn't go anywhere. Like Marquette didn't go to the NIT or anything. And St. Louis was five and twenty-three that season. And <laughs> they had Rich Rich Grower was um the coach. He was the coach. That was his last uh season. Uh I think that I want to say that was his definitely his last season because Rich Grower basically elevated that program from the ashes. You know, he just couldn't get him to the NCAA. He just couldn't get him to the NCAA tournament. But he basically took that program because uh, that was his last season. Like, Grower's last season was 1991-92. Charlie yep. Spoonhauer came in the following year. And it was kind of like the equivalent of Moses leading his people to the promised land. <laughs> and he and, and they let him see it, but he doesn't enter the promised land. Charlie Spoonhour took that program to the promised land. Yep. And I think if Rich Grower had took St. Louis to an NCAA tournament, we would be talking. Uh, uh, we would. Be, I think his. Uh, the way that history would have viewed him would have been differently. However, look at where they were playing at at the time. They weren't they weren't playing in a um uh they weren't playing in a power conference or a, they were playing in a mid major conference, among other things. So I think History doesn't, you know, I think history kind of favors him pretty, uh, gives him a fair shake as opposed to, as opposed to, um, to how history views Charlie Spoon now. But, you know, uh, you know, that, that team, that 1991-92 team, they really didn't have any business being framed because, when you are in a conference, and I think this is what killed the great Midwest, you have a conference with six teams. Three teams went to the NCAA tournament. One team went to the NIT. The other one stayed, the other two stayed home. I think that right there is what fucked, the, what fucked up the great Midwest. And the reason why I say this is because the University of Memphis baseball team won the 1995 Great Midwest Tournament, but they didn't get an automatic bid to the NCAA Tournament. That's they, silly. They, yeah, they didn't. They didn't get a. They didn't get a. Uh, I, I remember this because I, I used to go to the games. Uh, I used to go to the games at Nat Buren Stadium because my mother worked there uh, at the University of Memphis and. They didn't go to the NCAA tournament. Um, they didn't. And um I think when you look when you think about it, 
when you think about those things, you kind of see why um, the uh, the great Midwest failed when it did. That's the thing that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, that's why it failed the way it did. Because yeah, it only lasted four years, five years? 1991 to 1995. Yeah. So they get to play Cincinnati. And they lost the game. They 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 lost the game. Um the game with Cincinnati that time was a little bit closer. Twenty and I mean you're twenty and ten. They got the sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. They played Pepperdine. And this is in the part of the story where I talk about the Shrine Circus. Um, the Shrine Circus was a circus that was held every year at the Mid-South Coliseum. Every year when the, mid when the Shrine Circus would start was when the NCAA tournament started. So I got the chance to go on a field trip to the Shrine Circus. And I got home to watch the NCAA tournament with my grandma. And I stayed up to watch Memphis beat Pepperdine. And I remember being up to watch the James Forrest shot. That, I mean, that just tells you how fabulous the 1992 tournament was. Kansas lost to UTEP. That was Dunn Haskins' last Sweet 16 team. New Mexico State made it to the Sweet 16 that year. Memphis made it there. Uh, and it was basically the overtime. David Vaughn, uh, David Vaughn wheels this team to the Sweet 16. And it was against Arkansas. So they beat a top 10 Arkansas team twice. They're in the Sweet 16. The first Sweet 16 team I've seen in my lifetime. As a kid, you don't understand it. You, you don't understand it. You know, when you're a little kid, you don't understand it. Like, as an adult, I would understand it a lot more because I have a cognitive, you know, I have a cognitive reasoning. But when you're five years old, you're not understanding that. You're not. But I did see how my grandmother was because my grandmother used to always have this saying, they gave him the devil. And that's what Arkansas, Arkansas did. Arkansas gave, him, Arkansas gave him the devil. And um, they win this game. They played Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech with Bobby Crimmins. Uh, James Forrest was on that team. I think Travis Best was on that team. Brett Berry was on that team. They play them in Kemper Arena. They win that game. They're 23 and 10. 23 and 10. Okay. You're one win away from the final four, which looking at it now, I think if I had been older, if I had been older, I would have been more understanding of what was going on. But back then, I wasn't. Um, 
1991-92, the Bearcats had beaten us twice. They they beat us. They beat us. They had beaten us three times. They beat us in fucking at the fucking pyramid. They beat us in the championship game. They stand between us and the fucking final four. There's a lot. There's a lot riding on this game. Yes. Ocean wise. Yes. My grandmother. My grandmother and I were watching this game. It was a Sunday. They played the game in the afternoon. And Corey Blount, Nick Van Exel, Herb Jones, they all they they made me cry that day. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I cried. And I developed a hatred for Cincinnati. I hated Cincinnati basketball. I hated Bob Huggins. I hated the city. I just hated Cincinnati. Because they just made me cry. And I went to my grandmother and I was like, why can't they, can they do a redo? Can you know, and then I'm like, it's unfair. Why they, you know, I used, I asked my grandmother, why do they have to be so good? You know, that those were like all the questions I was asking. And um, she was like, you know, well, Ryan, you know, it's the Lord's work. You know, it just wasn't our time. My grandmother told me this. My grandmother's like this. My grandmother was like this super religious person. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what does God have to do with? with us losing to Cincinnati. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the college basketball stories. Is it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CBB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the stories pods on twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion please drink responsibly I think when you look at this 1991-92 team, no, we, they didn't win a championship or anything of that sort, but it was a lot of fun being a fan. It was my first sports heartbreak. It was like your first girlfriend, like your first girlfriend. Like <laughs> the first girlfriend I had was a girl named Portia. And um, my mom was a big, my mom's a big fan of Will Downing. And, um, was a big fan of Will Downey. So there was a song that they did called um uh they uh him and Rochelle Pharrell did together. And me and my very first girlfriend, we did that. We did we tried to like do the same thing. And uh she ends up breaking up. She ended up breaking up with me because uh I didn't give her a, a I didn't give her a, a, an Oreo cookie. 
in summer camp. She was a really pretty girl. <laughs> she was a really pretty girl, but Come but on, no, it's like Ryan, the Oreos. Come on. I mean, but I was hungry. I was hungry. <laughs> There's two things. Look, when I when I when I worked in South Carolina for the Corps of Engineers, an army sergeant basically said, never come between Hancock and his food. You might you might you might die. But no, but I but I had but you know the one thing I would say in closing, the biggest the thing that I you know, I told you, uh, Pat, I think I told you, Pat, at the uh, at the beginning, I hated Bob Huggins. I have a newfound respect for Bob Huggins now. I don't think of him as the mean old man, the mean man, the mean old man that always beats Memphis. I think of him as a guy that should be in the fucking Hall of Fame in the basketball Hall of Fame. Like Jay, Jay Wright's in there. Bill Self's in there. John Calipari's in there. Um, Tubby Smith is in there, deservedly. Rick Pitino's in there. Why not Bob Huggins? Because Bob Huggins' record speaks for itself. I mean, he had two losing seasons. 15 straight NCAA tournament appearances. Two Final, four, two final Fours. Look at all the talent that he put in the NCAA. In, I mean, not the NCAA, but the NBA. He should be in there. I mean, Eddie Sutton didn't win an NBA. Uh, 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 Eddie Sutton didn't win a national title. He's in there. But they no, they waited until Eddie Sutton died, was close to death to put him in there. You know, I believe you should give the legends their flowers while they're still here. Well, you yeah, know, yeah. Penny, Penny grew up in Binghampton, and his grand. You know, I talk about. I talked to you guys a lot about my grandmother. My grandmother was my very first color commentator. And keep in mind, my grandmother didn't play basketball. But my grandmother, if Joe Dean was, Joe Dean uh, you, uh, had a saying called string music. If my grandmother um, was doing college basketball announcing, she would pre the whole they gave him the devil. It would be on a lot of shirts. If she was alive today, she would. I, she, they would. She would be like, they on. They they gave him the devil. When I was a kid, he was on t-shirts. I mean, he was being commercials with his grandmother, and King Cotton rightly seasoned. King Cotton is like the best. They had some of the best bacon, best bologna. I, I grew up on King Cotton meat. King Cotton is the real deal, okay? Um, he meant a lot because much like Larry Finch, much like Larry Finch, he meant a lot. He was the big brother for us. Without Penny Hardaway, you don't have Chris Garner. And you don't have the current crop, Alex Lomax, James Wiseman, Joe Jackson, Chris Crawford, um, Elliot Williams, Pierre Henderson Niles. They grew up watching Penny Hardaway. And they wanted to add their lineage, their 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 etch their names along his name. 
So, season ends, and we go back to the NCAA tournament the following year. They lose to Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky ends up going to the Sweet 16. That team had, I think, Darren Horn was on that team. Penny Hardaway goes to the NCAA. Uh, he goes to the NBA draft. He goes. He gets drafted by the uh, Orlando Magic. Not the Orlando Magic. He gets drafted by the Golden State Warriors. They trade him to um, the Orla- uh, Orlando Magic. Then the following year, 1994, we have our first losing season in my lifetime. Okay. We beat Cincinnati, though. <laughs> and it was on the night that they retired Penny Hardaway's number. It was on the night that they retired Penny Hardaway's number. The following year, the University of Memphis goes back to the Sweet 16. And Arkansas, like I'm nine years old now, I kind of understand what's going on a little bit. Arkansas beats us. And they had Corliss Williamson, Scotty Thurman. You know, my grandmother, who still loves her from Nolan Richardson, she didn't love him that day because it was a bad call that put Arkansas in the Elite Eight. And that was the last time until 2006 that the University of Memphis got that far in the NCAA tournament. The very next year, the University of Memphis loses the Drexel. And by that time, they're in Conference USA. Now, here what happens, here's what also happens. Against all of this backdrop. Guys that were going to Memphis, that were from Memphis, started going elsewhere. Tony Harris, who I've known for years, went to Tennessee. Corey Bradford went to the University of Illinois, had a really good career at the University of Illinois. He had a the guy could shoot from anywhere. Robert O'Kelly graduated from White Station and decided to go to Wake Forest. All these great, talented players in Memphis, because the University of Memphis built was built on the homegrown talent. Homegrown talent going to Illinois and Wake Forest was not supposed to happen. And it wasn't supposed to happen with Larry Finch. But it did. And I think about that time in that period in time where People did not, people were not, did not understand why they left. It's like, okay, when you're a top player in the city of Memphis and you're pressured to go to the University of Memphis, guess what happens? You're going to look elsewhere. You get what I'm saying? You're going to, you're not, you've been around these same people your entire life. And you know, you can do something. You can still love your hometown and be away from it. 
y'all see what y'all see where I'm going with this? Yep. The problem was that Larry Finch and a lot of the boosters, they did not understand that. They didn't understand it. When when Tony Harris went to Tennessee over Memphis, when Robert O'Kelly went to Wake Forest over Memphis, or Corey Bradford going to um, Illinois over Memphis, the boosters' attitudes changed. Their attitudes towards Larry changed. And the problem was, uh, the problem was, they brought in a guy named R.C. Johnson. R.C. Johnson was an outsider. He was from, um, he was from um, Temple, and he didn't understand what Larry Finch meant to Memphis. He did not, because what you saw with the 1991-92 Memphis team, that was direct a direct correlation of what Larry Finch started, of what he and Robin, Ronnie Robinson started. Because before 1973, a lot of Memphis, a lot of, a, a lot of a lot of kid, black kids in Memphis didn't go to the University of Memphis, especially to play basketball. He started that. However, that was a blessing and a curse because you're being pressured to go to Memphis if you're a top basketball player. And that kid is going to be like, yo, I'm good. I'm going to go somewhere else. Corey Bradford had a wonderful career at Illinois. Robert O'Kelly had a wonderful career at, at Wake Forest. Tony Harris re, re, helped resurrect Tennessee basketball because Tennessee basketball didn't go to the NCAA tournament with um, um, with Allen Houston. We get to 1996-97. I remember this. I was sitting with my grandmother. We're watching Memphis play Southern Miss. R.C. Johnson decides to fire Larry Finch at a motherfucking hot dog stand at the period. <laughs> One of the greatest players in the history of the University of Memphis got fired at a motherfucking hot dog stand. At the pyramid. That's tough. At the pyramid. Second level. Second level. <laughs> Not even Chicago hot night. Chicago hot dogs or regular hot dogs? I, I, regular hot dogs. <laughs> they, Unreal. They played Southern Miss. They won that game. They the last home game he had, they beat Cincinnati. That 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 was the thing. Uh they beat Cincinnati. And they went to the they went to the NIT Final Four. Uh, they went to the NIT Final Four, uh, not the NIT Final Four, 
they went to the NIT. And that was the end of Larry Finn. But the thing is, man, you know how I just talked about Norman Richardson? And I talked about Norm Stewart. And I talked about John Thompson. And I talked about all these guys that got a chance to live and see their legacy. Larry Finch didn't get a chance to see Penny Hardaway coach at Memphis. He had a stroke about four years after he left. And he never got over it. Lord knows. I he was his wife taught at the high school I graduated from. His teammate's daughter was a high school classmate of mine. He never got over that. He never thought they would do that. He never thought they, they would do that. Um, that he, uh, in, in terms of firing him, the way that they treated him. Because the people that they hired, V-Lane Rawls was from fucking Washington. Looking at it now. If I had been my age now, and I would have been in 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 the face of R.C. Johnson, and I told him years later, why did you do it? Why 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 did you do it? I thought back to that, and when he had the stroke, guys, I I just was like, why? Like, I thought he was superhero. I thought he was Superman. Like, he was like my uncle. You know, it was like seeing your uncle go through this. The day he died, he died, uh, I believe he died on a Saturday. I was um, doing some work. I got a phone call from somebody. And that's when I learned he died. And he was taken from us, y'all, way too goddamn soon. He was 60 fucking years old, man. When, when I thought when Pierre, when, not Pierre, when Penny got named the head coach, I'm like, this is how it should have been all along. Because the University of Memphis basketball team and basketball in general in Memphis. You could be the most unathletic motherfucker there is, but you could go out there and play ball. Like my friends, uh, I got like I got like this is a Memphis celebration, man. I gotta give my man's Brandon Solomon. We call him B. We used to play basketball on this um, court, converted tennis court. You could get, t- make a tennis court. And turn that motherfucker into Rucker Park. <clears throat> we'll be playing until like midnight, cause we had lights on the uh, on the uh, on the um, on the court. That was what Penny Hardaway did. And, like that's what he meant to us. And 
I think that right there is his legacy. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.